Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of staying true to the Lord. The constant message of the world is that people can do it themselves. But it has to be constantly recognized and rejected by the believer so that we can be courageous and admit that we cannot do it and acknowledge our limitations and be totally dependent upon God. That is so important, the fear of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You may have made a mistake or two in life, but believe it or not, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul didn't start off his life on the best foot either, but he certainly learned how to finish well. Let's join Pastor Xavier for this final lesson from his study in the book of 2 Timothy, Exiting Triumphantly. Verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. First of all, Paul saw his life as one of courage. Don't miss that. He saw his life as one of courage. Notice the contest is called what? The good fight. The word fight again is from the same root of go. To agonize. Even as the athlete in his training to win. He declared to Timothy that he had finished the race. That's an amazing statement. Listen to Paul. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 30 years after ministry, he says this. 30, 35, something like that. I've been in ministry about 28 years. I say the same thing. Why can I say the same thing? Because I have not arrived in the presence of God. As long as you're present here physically, you haven't arrived. <laughs> you're still pressing towards the mark. You're still growing. You're still learning. You're still ministering. You're still being used of God. And so you need to put your hand to that for which you were apprehended for, pressing towards the mark to see what he has for you. What an incredible statement. Notice thirdly that Paul saw his life as one of contending for the faith. So courage, commitment, and contending for the faith. The word kept means to guard or to attend to and care with the idea for preservation, to preserve. He saw himself as a steward of the gospel, one who would one day give an account. This has been lost in a lot of the church today, and I think even in Calvary chapels, that somehow we've just been blessed, received the gospel, and, and I'm, not, I'm not one who's going to have to give an account for what I've received. Oh, yes, I will. What am I doing with the gospel? Am I just applying it to my life? Or am I dispensing it out? He saw himself as a soldier to guard against the enemy. Pleasing the captain of his salvation. The apostle knew the message was of divine origin. A gospel is a message foreign to this world. The gospel is not received in this world. The gospel is not valued in the world. The gospel is attacked by the world. The gospel is rejected in the world and the gospel is replaced and the gospel is ridiculed by the world. They don't want anything to do with the gospel, remember? <laughs> the gospel rubs you the wrong way. 
The gospel shows you who you are, and it's not a pretty picture. Gospel shows you what you can be, and so it's offensive. The apostle declares his faithfulness to the gospel and its deposit to him, which is kept only by the Spirit of God, as he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It's an investment. You go down the bank and you say, listen, I want to put $1,000 away. He says, what can I get for? He says, okay, if you put in this, Mr. Reese, you're going to get 2.5. If you put in this for three months, you're going to get 4.4. If you put in this, you're going to, put, you're going to get zero. Now, which one do you want to put it in? I said, oh, let me think about it. Um, uh, how about the zero one? That, that sounds pretty good to me. They would look at me kind of weird. But you know a lot of Christians live like that regarding the gospel and the investment of the gospel? They do absolutely nothing with it? The God that has saved us, has invested, has put a deposit in you and in me. God has placed this treasure in the earthen vessel that the power and glory may be of God, not of ourselves. And God's going to require an account of that. Many parables, and the stewards all gave an account, and the one said, oh, Lord, I buried it. I was afraid, you evil servant, you should at least put it in the bank and get some interest on it. The average professional athlete puts the average American Christian to shame when it comes to the disciplined lifestyle of courage, commitment, and contending for the faith. The Christian life is one that calls for discipline and courage. He told that to Timothy in the first chapter of the epistle, verse 7. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's by the Spirit. That's not natural for us. The difficulties of life are many, as well as the temptations to take us from Christ rather than to encourage us to abide in Christ. Many. We don't need to add to them. The constant message of the world is that people can do it themselves. But it has to be constantly recognized and rejected by the believer so that we can be courageous and admit that we cannot do it and acknowledge our limitations and be totally dependent upon God. That is so important, especially the older you get. Oh, be careful. Not only the heart is deceitful, but old age is deceitful. <laughs> be careful. The mind of the world gives us slogans like, no fear, N-O. <laughs> I'd do anything. Give it to me, I'll do it. I'll jump off a thousand foot. Bungee jump. I wouldn't even want to strap the thing on. I'll jump. You know, no fear. <laughs> Yet the courageous life in Christ declares this. No fear. K-N-O-W. The fear of God. Hmm. What a different slogan. The Christian life is one that calls for discipline and commitment of love. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Agape suffers long and is kind. Agape does not envy. Agape does not parade itself. Is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked at all. In the Greek it says it all. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoice in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, holds all things, endures all things. Agape never fails. That's agape. You can insert the name of Jesus and you can run through the whole list. And those are the only two things that will work. Your name won't work. 
My name won't work. So I must abide in agape. I must abide in Jesus. And you know what? Then whatever comes, I can get through this list to the glory of God. The call of a Christian is not a part-time call. It's a full-time call. The call of a Christian is not a, to mediocrity, but to excellence. The call of a Christian is not to necessarily be comfortable, but to follow the Lord in complete obedience. Come with me. The call of a Christian is to finish the race of life, but not for his own glory or her own glory, but for the glory of God. The Christian life is one that calls for the discipline to contend for the faith. Because there's always heresies. There's always people that oppose the gospel. Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. There's only one gospel. You don't have a restored gospel. There's no need for a new gospel. There's not another gospel. There is only one gospel has been given once and for all. And you need to contend for that. You need to defend it. You need to live for it. And you need to die for it. That's what Jude is saying. That's what Paul is giving witness to. The gospel message is an offensive one to the Jew and a foolish one to the Greek. Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 1.23. The gospel message will always be watered down to make it palatable to the natural man. If you've never visited an average church, pick one one Sunday and listen to what they preach. Sermonettes for Christianettes, sociology, psychology, political correctness, but not the gospel. It's too offensive. It must be watered down so it's palatable, non-offensive, non-threatening. Paul warns in Colossians 2.8, beware of agape, phileo sophia, the love of wisdom, by the traditions of men, the ABCs of the world. Every gamut of philosophy, every opinion, every sort of, well, how about this view? How about that view? Well, how about this? And, you know, but it all deviates from the gospel so that people are not offended. The gospel message is scoffed at because it reveals man's sinfulness and his evil. And 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4 tells us it real simple. So the multitudes will follow their false teachers. It's just the way it is in the last days. And so Paul saw his life of faith in the past as a service of discipline. How do you view your life in the past? Has it been a service of discipline or slothfulness? Is it a life of discipline or are you still being slothful? All of us will give an account. Notice thirdly that he finishes by saying that he saw his life of faith in the future as a celebration of joy. Listen to him. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearance. 
Notice first, he is looking forward to reward. The crown is one of righteousness. The crown is the victor's crown. Stephanos is the word. Like the one given to the contestants at the games of the Olympic Games. We've seen them go up on the stand. They put their crown. They put their medal today. They give them a trophy or whatever they may be. That's what he's talking about. So he is looking forward towards reward. There's nothing wrong with that. The word for crown is, is the very word, Stephanos, that the soldiers put on the head of Jesus. In mockery, they were crowning him and bowing to him. Hail, king of the Jews. And without knowing it, it was a true worship because what they put up on his head was the very curse of Adam's fall, the thorns. And he came to redeem man and the world. They didn't see that, but that was a victorious exiting that was going on with Jesus. You see? He's like Paul. The crown is related to loving his coming, his appearance, giving us the greatest incentive for holy living. In 1 John 3, 1 through 3. If you believe he's coming, you're going to be living a separated life, a life different from what you lived before, a life pleasing to the Lord. We're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about a difference, absolute difference. There are other crowns in Scripture. There's the crown of incorruption in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, the crown of rejoicing in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, the crown of righteousness mentioned here, and the crown of life in James 1, 12, and the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 1-4. So there's different crowns that God is going to reward us. So he was looking for reward, but not just reward. Look at what he was looking. He was looking for the Lord to reward him secondly. It's important who's going to reward you. I want to be rewarded of the Lord. Not just simply look for reward. The Lord is in reference to Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is called the righteous judge in Acts 10.42 and John 5.22. He's the perfect judge. There will be no mistakes. When he gives judgment, it will be boom, right on. Perfect. Now, the time of the crowning would be at a specific time by the word day, in capital D, A-Y, in verse 8. At his appearing, that's the day. He defines it for us. The believer will be rewarded by Jesus at the judgment of the believers, as the church is raptured, we go before the beam of seat of Christ, the judgment of the believer. And there we talked about 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, that it'll be judged by fire. It'll be wood, hay, stubble, or precious uh, stone and silver and gold. And that what can be consumed is lost, and that which is turned into permanency is only rewarded. But the motive is our love for Jesus. Did we do the things out of love in 1 Corinthians 4, 5? So, He's talking about that specific, specific time. The word is the same as we discussed last week for appearing, epiphania. It means the manifestation as the visible manifestation of Jesus for his church when he comes for her. Notice thirdly that he was looking forward to seeing others rewarded. You see, he doesn't finish with himself. 
He was looking for reward, and he was looking for reward from Jesus, not just anybody, but he was looking forward to see others rewarded. It, the kingdom was not all about Paul. Too often I look at the church and, and, and people, it's all about them. It's like the world. And, and we should be different from the world. Paul, the apostle, did not believe himself to be in any particular favor or unique place from others. Here's a protection. See yourself as one of many in the church. One among many, not above many. The apostle saw a greater circle than himself who would be crowned. That's good. The apostle identifies all those to be crowned with loving his appearance. Here's the unique connection. He says those who receive this crown are those who love his appearance. The difficulties that they had gone through life and even those today. The unexplained things did not cause them to charge God foolishly, to have a pessimistic attitude, but they were stepping towards, towards that goal. And that will be the case with us if we're like them. Their perspective about the warfare is that it's a good fight. Paul said it's a good fight. Some people think that, that the fight's not good. I mean, why is God allowing this? We were born into warfare. And it's a good fight because we can be triumphant as we depend upon the Lord. Now his victory was accomplished through the spiritual weapons that God gave to him. Prayer, the word, and the filling of the spirit. The very same weapons that God has given to you and to myself. Paul's commitment to salvation was with the purpose of winning. Whoever enters a race not wanting to win, <laughs> it's ludicrous. You see, his trust was in, Paul, in God's strength and dependence for wisdom to direct his life. Absolutely. You see, his wisdom was in seeing the value of all his obedience and to see he who is invisible in the journey of life and to be transformed into his image more and more and more. It's a good fight. Have you ever seen the look on a bride's face as she has walked up to the aisle? Is it one of fear? One of regret? Disappointment, perhaps? No, none of these. But one of joy. I've done many weddings. I've never seen a bride drug up. But she's just full of joy. She's ready to be crowned. She has been waiting for this day. She has kept herself. She's been faithful. She's been courageous. She's been committed. She's contended. The believer is to be looking for the blessed hope. Titus 2.13. Listen to him. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for it. The blessed hope. Our hope is I know so, not I hope so. We do not sorrow as others that have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. 
We sorrow, we cry because we love our loved ones and they're gone, they're not here, but not because we don't know what's happened to them. If my father, if my mother, if my brother, if my friend is born again, I miss them, I cry, but I know where they're at, they're with the Lord. But if they don't know the Lord, I equally know that they're not with God and they're eternally separated. And there is a great grief in my heart. I sorrow with certainty. Let me ask you some questions that might be helpful at this point. Are you more preoccupied and concerned about the earthly realm more than the heavenly realm? Are the things you perceive as they come into your life or you come in contact with every day, do you see them as coming from God and handling them in the spirit or as coming from God's punishment and walking and dealing with them in the flesh. How do, you, how do you view those things? Do you see them as God directing your life? Very important. Are you looking for his coming only to escape your problems and because you really are a bad steward? Or are you looking for his coming because that's what you're living for and your life demonstrates it? See, some people just want the Lord to come back so they don't have to pay off their car. <laughs> In the house and everything else that they can't afford that they've gone out and bought. The motive has to be right. You stand in one of two places. You are living apart from his righteousness, and therefore you are not looking or loving his appearance, or you are living in his righteousness, and therefore, you are looking and loving for his appearance. One of the two. Either you're not or you are. Either you're loving him or you're loving yourself. Either you are saying you love him, but you're not living for him. And though you say you're looking, you're really not living. One of the two. And these are questions that you have to answer in your life every day. You should take a survey of your life all the time. That's why God says for you to be in the Word of God every day. Because it's a spiritual mirror that shows you your mug, where you're at spiritually. And what shape you're in. And if you will dare to take time to spend time in the Word, you will know every day exactly where you are with Christ. You'll know your condition. You'll know your need. Paul saw his life of faith in the future as a celebration of joy. Celebration of joy. If the Lord tarries, it won't be long. Paul's view of his life of faith from these three perspectives are really insightful. He saw his life of faith in the present as a sacrifice to God. And so should we. He saw his life of faith in the past as a service of discipline. And so should we if we look back. He saw his life of faith in the future as a celebration of joy. Oh, listen, I cannot do anything about my past, but I can do something about my present and my future. God gives us time to repent. God gives us time to turn. God convicts us that we might confess. And he does all this so that he may be glorified and make us more into his image. And so we can have the proper perspective of the faith of the Bible. It must be evident in our life. Otherwise, they're mere words. 
empty ones at that. Exiting triumphantly. Is that the way you're going to go out? I sure hope so. I plan on it. Listen, what you don't plan, you probably won't be able to do. You must plan it. Pastor Xavier Reese and planning your exit. Today's Bible study, Exiting Triumphantly, is available on CD for only $4. And by the way, this will also include what we heard the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is Exiting Triumphantly, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for helping us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is one way we can check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 